Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, the show where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu and with me is my good friend and co-host on the show, Defo Mohapi. How's it going, my dude? Well rested? All good. Still sipping on the last bits of a fruit cocktail juice like I'm on holiday. And he means it, folks. He means it. It's right in front of us. I'm, I'm on some sparkling water vibes. Uh, so we're easing ourselves into the work, aren't we? Oh, definitely. Coffee we'll see next week. And listen, uh, we hope you've appreciated the content we've been sharing the last four weeks while we've been away on holiday. You know that exclusive content from the annual Roundup 2015 event we hosted last November? Well, hope you loved it. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to 2016, buddy. Feel free to catch up on all our past episodes at africantechroundup.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. And we're also on Facebook. Check us out at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. That's right. We've got a great show lined up today, don't we? Yeah. Not only do we have some interesting hot topics to unpack in our news segment, as always, but in place of our regular discussion feature, we'll be sharing a chat that uh, you had with Aaron Fu, who's managing partner of Africa at Nest. He's a stand-up guy, I have to say. It was fun hanging with him in his first proper trip outside the airport of Johannesburg, because every time he comes here, he's always at the airport. That's a bit pathetic. but. Yeah, it was good having you, Aaron. And also, it's great stuff, so stick around. But first, we have some Google Cardboards to give away. That's right. This week's African Tech Roundup is supported by Google, who hooked up our team with some Google Cardboards to try out. And they've given us some to give away to you, our valued podcast listeners, you beauties. All we asked you to do last week was to holler at us and tell us why we should send you one. So well done to Ishara Arnold, at Ishara on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening in and reaching out to us on Twitter. She said she'd like to win a Google Cardboard because she's keen to create and curate great digital experiences this year. It's a great experience, a Google Cardboard. There's tons of things you can do with it from an educational perspective, from a business perspective too. So yeah, we look forward to seeing what Ishara does with it. Our second winner is a chap named Mitch Wong Ho. We call this one a day one. He has to be one of our earliest listeners. He goes by at Mitch Wong Ho on Twitter. Uh, congratulations to you, Mitch. Uh, look, I'm going to read your message because it really is funny. He says, <laughs> so in answering why we should send him one, he says, I'd like a Google Cardboard because I have FOMO and I can't afford the Oculus Rift. <laughs> you clearly weren't one of their early backers because all their early backers just got a free Oculus Rift uh, this past week. But it, you'll definitely be getting a Cardboard from us. Congratulations to you. You both, uh, Mitch and Ishara, we hope you have a lot of fun with your cardboards. And now, of course, Google Cardboard brings you immersive virtual reality experiences in a simple and affordable way. Check them out at google.com slash get slash cardboard. Before we get on to the news, here's a quick word from James Wamatai, who is the Director of Partnerships at the Bloggers Association of Kenya. They're organizing the Kenyan Blog Awards, which are happening soon. Take a listen. We've just announced the launch of the fifth Kenyan Blog Awards. The launch also coincides with the opening um, of the submission phase where uh, Kenyan bloggers you know, need to submit their bloggers into the competition. Uh, basically, to submit, all they need to do is go to uh, bloggerwards.co.ke forward slash submit. These, these awards are actually the only, uh, the only ones uh, in this part of the world where we honor and award um, Kenyan bloggers. Uh, past winners of the awards include Mutua Madheka, uh, Sylvia Njoki, uh, This Is S, um, Sharon Mondia, and Sam Makoba. Ah, wow. 
Oh my word, sounds like Kenya's going to be on fire for this one. Uh, please keep us posted on everything that happens. If you hear anything good worth sharing, let us know. You know the hashtag is hashtag ATRU on Twitter. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, South Africa is known as the cradle of humankind. I guess Kenya's the cradle of geek kind. <laughs> it certainly seems that way. Now, on to the news now, folks. First up, Netflix has invaded the planet. It's official. The video on demand service is reportedly available on pretty much every country on the continent and indeed most of the world, except for China and one or two other countries. Yeah, I mean, they announced at CES, which is the gimmicky show that happens every year about consumer electronic products. It's very gimmicky. Did you just take a shot? I did. It's very gimmicky. I mean, that stuff that comes out there hardly comes out to normal people. And it's all like gimmicky. But worthwhile announcement was Netflix rolling out to the rest of the world. But I think it's an experiment. Why are you saying an experiment? I think they're throwing everything onto the wall and see what sticks. Well, certainly when you look at the fundamentals that, that basically oil the machinery of mobile use and internet use here on the continent, one has to wonder what they're counting on in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of like scaling fast given our environment. Yeah, I mean, it, it's adoption in Africa is going to be quite interesting. For starters, I'm sure they got a lot of signups for the free because they've got this free trial period. Which I'm sure Showmax did too. They do have it, but I'm interested to see what's the conversion rate after that. How many people do still stick around? The other thing I noticed, I think it's David Okui in Uganda on Twitter, was showing a screenshot of the sign-up page in Uganda. All it's asking as a payment method is a credit card. So that pretty much puts out, uh, what, uh, 95% of all Africans. Yeah, it does. And, and if you think about it, and this is not a shot, in, but it's, it's more of a reality, the only country that really, or one of the, I'd say a handful of countries, if you count the Maghreb countries, the North African countries as well, that has a real middle class is South Africa. Uh, the rest of the continent doesn't really have a middle class as we know it in South Africa in terms of if you look at the spending levels. So I'll give you a very good example. ShopRite is a big store in Nigeria. It's considered a very huge store. Woolworths didn't make it out there. But you come to South Africa, the middle class don't shop at ShopRite. They shop at Woolworths. Wow. So, look, looking at it on the on the bright side, though, uh, fiber is set to make access to the internet a lot cheaper for a lot of Africans, uh, particularly, in, like you said, in the more developed parts of Africa, like South Africa and in in Northern Africa. However, people are a little disappointed. Um, very few titles relative to Netflix UK and America. There's a ton of missing content. Things like Game of Thrones, House of Cards don't feature. Uh, like it's it's pretty shocking, actually. It is. I mean, it's all about licensing rights. And this is where Showmax and Naspers, I hate mentioning that word, that's where they win. So they've got the licensing rights to shows like Game of Thrones and House of Cards. So they got in first with DSTV, obviously. Very sharp uh, of them to launch Showmax ahead of Netflix's rollout into the rest of Africa. I think it's insider knowledge, considering how quick it was last year. And how solid as a product it was. Um, definitely not as sexy a product. Some people are complaining about the fact that uh, Netflix has a better streaming quality and Netflix, of course, uh, uh, has fewer glitches and buffering. You let us know if this is true. Some people say it's got better device support. This is definitely true. Showmax apparently only still offers limited device support. No Apple TV, no Chromecast, no Roku. For most of Africans listening to this podcast, that means absolutely nothing anyway. <laughs> so, but yeah, for those of you who have, you know, up to the minute with your devices, if you have a smart TV older than two years, then uh, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at South Africa in terms of content, going back to content, I think we've got about 600 titles compared to the US, which has got 14,000 titles. 
And of course, um, the Iroko effect has to be factored in. Of course, Jason and Joko coming out, were, you know, coming out, guns blazing, going, I just woke up this morning and people are saying my company's going to die. Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> Come on, bruh. Listen, well, look, let, let's look at his argument. His argument uh, in his blog is that, listen, they, they're on a mobile, um, uh, they're a mobile only uh, sort of focus. So they're not even technically uh, competing with netflix which is untrue because netflix is available on mobile um and then of course he says they they also have very strong in terms of creating develop, um, local content and that's their whole angle they're looking at creating content for the diaspora and netflix hasn't done that i don't see why netflix can wake up tomorrow morning and just throw a couple of hundred million dollars into like creating their own content and look who's just walked into the building my goodness yeah, Mecca's here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he can chip in into the whole Netflix and Iroko discussion about local content as well. What's with our African brothers just uh, just walking in on our shows these days? They love Joburg, man. This is awesome. But tell us who, who, who he is, because I'm meeting him for the first time, uh, shaking hands with a stranger at the moment, but who, who, who just walked in? Emeka, well, first full names, Emeka Okoye. He's a great mind in terms of semantic web, in terms of search engine optimization and lately about artificial intelligence i think he consults globally on on the topics of uh, semantic web and uh, and uh, artificial intelligence but he'll tell you a little bit more about himself and tell us about netflix all right my guy so you're just hopping into uh, a hotbed of debate at the moment uh, around what we're discussing at the moment welcome 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 firstly yeah well it's nice coming to Josie town this is my town uh just few uh meters away was the first spot I came to in Joburg. That was the Santin uh, Holiday Inn. Uh, so uh, that was in 2002. And just shortly, just shortly before Joburg.co.za was created. Are you serious? Yes, I was here. I listened to the uh, speech. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, nowhere in Africa. Uh, Joburg was the first uh, municipality that went online. That's insane. And I was a witness to it. I watched it live from my hotel room, not too far away from here. That is crazy. And now you're back in town for some more action. Yes, yes. Uh, hopefully, I'll be making a lot of trips to South Africa. I see a lot of engagement, interactions, and opportunities here. You know, So Josie is home. All right. Well, it's a pleasure meeting you, certainly. Now, you just dropped in in the middle of a discussion. We're discussing Netflix. <laughs> How big is this Netflix story in Nigeria at the moment? Well, it's huge. You know, people are excited about it. You know, so much DSTV monopoly, you know, in quotes. I mean, uh, not many players have come in and have beating them to their game. We had high TV, but unfortunately, a crash. I guess they didn't get their business uh, 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 all right. But now, Netflix, the excitement about it is that, you know, people online, especially social media, you know, are talking much about it. But the truth of the matter is that it's not going to be a niche service. Um, one of the things uh, Iroko has mentioned about is, you know, the subscriber base in Nigeria. And he pointed it out in his post. I mean, his post was, you know, he explained it well. This is Jason, actually, because we were actually talking about him when you walked in. Uh, he, he uh, He's on some, well, we're, we're, we're a totally different business model. Netflix does, you know, Showmax on one side says, uh, you know, DSTV are saying, well, these guys are going to help us grow the market. Iroka TV is saying, these guys have nothing to do with what we do. We've got a mobile-only focus. We're making uh, local content for for diasporans and locals and, and uh, you know, a local audience that is mobile mostly. Uh, what, what do you think? 
I, I think Iroko is right. Uh, there's no competition. Um, first of all, Netflix, it will be hard for Netflix to, you know, get the local content. I think Iroko has covered that area. So for them, they might want to create new content. But the question is, when they are creating new content, which audience are they looking at? Is it the international audience or the African audience? You know, that's, you know, this, this is where, you know, that's a business question. Um, we know they, they did well with the Beast of No Nation. Uh, it's written by um, uh, Iwala. Iwala is a Nigerian. Production was done in West Africa. You know, they used a lot of Ghanaian actors and actresses and, you know, uh, so that looked almost like a local production, just like Slumdog uh, millionaire, which was a British crew with an Indian uh, production, you know. So, um, whether that can work in Africa, I doubt. I mean, and this is the Id- the Idris Elba movie where he plays a a, um, a, a, a a warlord. Warlord, yes, you know. So um, the thing is, this is that Iroko has covered, you know, a lot of the content side. Is this through you, you, uh, through licensing, or you, uh, you mean in terms of uh, actually starting to make their own content? No, through licensing, but they have plans to make their own content. You know, uh, I am sure they've started some production, but I, you know, I'm not. Uh, in Iroko. So um, so they have the Nigerian content of Nollywood. Nollywood is the third biggest uh, 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 movie uh, franchise in the world. So they have that and they have the diaspora, you know. So it's not so hard, you know, for you to figure out that, you know, Netflix, to be hard for Netflix to, you know, uh, knock them off, you know, that. Uh, the only thing is that Netflix might want to now show interna- uh, um, uh, Western content in Africa. But the problem with that is that, you know, broadband is expensive. Subscriber base is low, very low. So it's not, I mean, uh, then we have the, also the market of uh, DSTV who are offline. So it's not, for me, uh, I don't think Netflix will dent anybody's market. And on the streets, what are the Nigerians talking about? Are they, uh, we see obviously the non average Africans talking about this, making a trend on Twitter and all over social, but we know that's not the average consumer on our continent. What are the streets saying? No, well, you, you know, those talking on, uh, online are not the average. You know, they don't even represent, you know, the whole demographics. So uh, we have to take their comments uh, with a pinch of salt. Uh, the truth of the matter is that DSTV, for instance, which is the biggest uh, on the continent, serve, you know, the top to middle class. And we've had this discussion about the low middle class in Africa. There has been the debate since the Nestle debacle, you know. So we, we, for now, we are not even sure whether we have up to 50 million uh, Africans in the middle class. Um, I could tell you that DSTV in Nigeria is not up to 2 million. There are more DSTV uh, uh, machines here in South Africa than even uh, Nigeria with 170 million. So we have a very low uh, middle class in in Africa, in Nigeria. You mean by glo- in global terms, of course, because I mean, we have to suppose there are apples and apples and that kind of thing. So in a real sense, when when the Western world talks about a middle class earning so many, so many dollars a day, living on so much a day, that middle class doesn't quite exist in the sort of numbers that Netflix might wish it did. No, it doesn't. Uh, broadband is expensive. I mean, you know, look at, you know, in Nigeria, a lot of, uh, for instance, in Nigeria, a lot of uh, the MNOs are offering free uh, data, you know, based on, you know, your recharge, 
you know so it's not so much about people wanting to pay for data but you know uh um the uh most of the data is coming uh, well let me say a lot of the data is coming from re- recharge now one thing again is that um, one of the attractions to dstv one of the major attractions of dstv sports you know um you you can go back to the licensing why the nigerian backlist premiership license is very expensive it was when the high tv uh, the local uh, 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 digital uh, station acquired the license beat dstv some years back and you know they hinged their business model on that spot i guess that's one of the reasons why they went down so they had to overbid from DSTV, making it too high for DSTV to pick so that it can have something to leverage on the market. Sports is a big deal, you know, very big. And a lot of us pay DSTV because of sports. So Netflix, for instance, if they don't have anything for live sports, then their opportunities is limited. So sports is really big in Africa, especially in Nigeria. And if you remove sports from DSTV, I can tell you DSTV subscription will go go down. So that's why I think. And Tefa, what do you think? Uh, you know, the news of Netflix coming into the market has done uh, for the boardrooms at places like Vidi, OnTap TV, View. What do you think they're thinking? And what do you think their strategic <laughs> their strategic plans to stay alive uh, uh, must involve at the moment? Yeah, definitely. For the smaller guys, I think the guys who've just launched like Vidi and OnTap TV, who are purely mobile players i think they should be worried about netflix because that's where they play they're looking for that niche market of middle to upper class who want to watch house of cards etc but as my mecca says the middle class and in terms of the lower middle class they're more focused on sports and that's why they they stream or watch online or watch dstv I suppose the dark horse in this whole story might be broadband prices coming down steeply very quickly, especially considering that a a player like Vue is owned by an MTN. Well, let me talk about that broadband prices. It's not coming down, you know. Why? Look at it. The continent is surrounded with a lot of cable on the sea cable. question is, why has it gone now? It's not like new cables are going to come in. Many new cables are coming in quickly. The thing is this is that there are too many challenges, you know, that last mile. You know, it's 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 terrible. You know, in Africa, too many challenges. So, uh, I don't see broadband prices going down sharply in the next five years. Maybe Google will succeed with that balloon of theirs, or Facebook with that plane. Well, maybe they will because they're partnering with Seacom. But this goes back to something we covered at the annual roundup with Brendan Doyle, who invests in in Seacom, where he mentioned that on the wholesale side, so prices have dropped. So, for instance, he gave an example of a product that Seacom sold wholesale to service providers like your MTNs, etc. They'd sell it at $99 million a couple of years back. They're now selling it at $2 million. So going back to America's point, the problem seems to be at the last mile with the service providers they're not dropping prices and in terms of again from a consumer point of view showmax still remains a lot cheaper uh granted i mean we talked about just before you came that uh, some people are saying that the quality uh, the streaming quality the, the amount of buffering you get with showmax still doesn't quite match you know how slick and and smooth netflix is um but i mean at the moment it's just cheaper and for consumers that are purely price sensitive showmax is still the way to go certainly seem to have a much bigger bouquet for the moment i have a problem with all these players coming in you know they might be struggling for the same audience 
the thing is this is that the guy on the street the guys that watch nollywood movies are not so much interested about you know international content they love their local movies you know as you see that some of the nollywood movies are not that sophisticated that is exactly what they are looking for you have to think about the literacy level on the continent that makes nollywood uh very very relevant that's something you have to understand you know and that's not something a netflix could uh, throw a couple of hundred millions at and, and replicate no no it's not you know so we have to look at it if, if even if the broad i don't believe the broadband prices going right down will make a lot of people from the villages you know uh want to go to netflix you know these people have identified with a lot of actors you know uh in 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 our movies and they, it's going to be hard for them you know to move away from it so uh the thing is this is that all these new entrants or in in the market on you know VODs and or whatnot i think they are all chasing the same audience and the one thing we haven't talked about is the fact that is the biggest competitor to them all piracy <laughs> like what the heck are they going to do about people all over africa who are quite happy to watch everything we've just talked about for free let's put it they are all competing with piracy piracy is the main business you know that's just the truth now what people haven't understood is that um, we need to figure out why there is piracy rather than saying piracy is illegal these people have embraced piracy so we have to figure out how to beat piracy at their own game rather than trying to shut down remember how napster came up you see they were smart the big um, the big labels did not shut down napster for a reason because you, you you can't take they can't push them on the ground there is a market what the pirates have shown is that there is a market the question is how to get the market so we have to be innovative in the way we are dealing with piracy but piracy is real and the market is real is to find that opportunity. What else is real is one other player coming to the party this past week, <laughs> Afri Deo, the latest VOD entry from Nigeria, claiming to have an edge in streaming Africa-themed content, combining curation and social publishing, and uh, basically a freemium model, not unlike uh, YouTube. <laughs> so I don't know. Good luck to you all. All of you. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. Let's move on. And uh, thank you so much for those views, man. Um, here's one that left us scratching our heads. Um, maybe you can factor in on this as well. Uh, MTN acquiring Visa Phone for an undisclosed amount this past week in a deal reportedly sanctioned by the NCC in December. I know you smell a rat. Uh, <laughs> I know you smell a rat, therefore. Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. It's a good deal. I think it will help with uh, internet penetration. But for me, what's interesting is that, one, the Nigerian Communications Commission approved the deal despite MTN missing two deadlines, the last of which was... 31st of December for paying the fine. So, and what makes me become skeptical is the amount of the acquisition acquiring is not disclosed. So, the question I start asking and being skeptical and cynical sometimes is, wasn't this perhaps a way of paying back the fine indirectly? But maybe I'm wrong. And here's the other thing: is this before or after MTN actually took the NCC to court over, well, basically disputing the amount they should pay? This, this is all very strange to me. Yeah, I mean, okay, I might be completely wrong, and this is just coincidence. Maybe the deal has been in the works for for months on end, but the timing is quite interesting. 
certainly a lot of layoffs uh, being reported. MTN quite clearly interested in one thing as, as far as VisaPhone is concerned, which is um, access to that 800 megahertz spectrum uh, to launch 4G LTE services, which would give them a huge advantage in Nigeria. What do you make of this deal? Well, okay, from the technical side, it does make sense because it's just about the spectrum. But, you know, outside the spectrum, nothing else. So, basically, outside the spectrum, VisaPhone is not giving uh, MTN anything, not uh, uh, location, you know, none. So, uh, they've basically lost the fight against GSM. They essentially are a failed entity. Um, everyone's going to lose their job, pretty much, I'd say. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs, and I'm sorry to say it that way. But it's quite clear that all that uh, MTN is interested here is the spectrum. Well, the truth of the matter is that uh, the... To the common man, the technology shouldn't really matter. It's just that if they've done the services very well, it doesn't really matter whether I'm using CDMA or GSM, as long as there is uh, a smooth integration, you know. But I guess, you know, we lack, but this is a general telco thing. Not much innovation is coming out of this space. So uh, I guess VisaPhone just fell, you know, unfortunately. But they were a good company, you know. And then with... The uh, layoffs, which is obviously, that's why I said, you know, the only value VisaPhone has is the spectrum. So, aside that, nothing. And of course, look, uh, it'll be interesting to see how MTN reports on this, uh, the MTN group reports on this particular transaction. Is it in fact big enough for them to be compelled to tell us exactly what they paid? Uh, and um, as as MTN Nigeria being part of a key part of that group from a revenue perspective, it, it probably be something they need to tell us about. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, and I'd like to compare how much they acquired VisaPhone for now that we've likely established that they're only acquiring it for the spectrum. So compare that amount they paid to acquire VisaPhone to how much it would have cost if the spectrum was available to purchase. Ah, well. Anyway, next uh, user growth update we thought was significant. Uh, we don't often do these sort of press release type things, but we thought this was an interesting uh, piece of data uh, out of the Swedish phone ID app Truecaller, which has reportedly crossed the 4 million user mark in Kenya. And they, of course, already have over 16 million users in Egypt. This is interesting. It's interesting. I don't know if our users know Truecaller. Truecaller is that uh, crowdsourced uh, telephone number app where you... Put people's, you, uh, you put people's names and assign them to a company's names, organization's names, and assign them to the company, to the telephone number, apologies. And also, but what's more interesting about it is it also works as a spam filter for telephone calls. You can say that this telephone number is a spam number, it's a telesales number, and if you have the app on your phone, it pops up in red on Apple iPhones and says this is identified as spam, so you you don't pick it up. And also, if your ex has tracked you down, you've been trying to shake him or her, <laughs> and has changed their numbers, you will be able to tell that it's him or her, and um, yeah, you might want to sign up for that reason. But definitely... Uh, a lot of good traction in terms of user acquisition for this company, which is very interesting. Africa definitely proving to be fertile ground for their growth um, uh, around the world, uh, to be sure. And so to Kenya next, we're following their legal squabble with Safaricom late last year over regulation issues. Bitcoin trading platform BitPesa is now offering Bitcoin payment and trading services in Kenya through Airtel. Hmm. In Uganda through Airtel and MTN, in Tanzania through Airtel and Mpesa, and in Nigeria through Quickteller and Paga. Hmm, Safaricom must be one must be thinking, uh, did we do did we miss a trick with this one? 
I think Safaricom has gotten so big. This is my personal. They've become so big that in the process they've become short-sighted. Bitcoin is here to stay. And subsequent to them banning all these Bitcoin operators and disconnecting them from Safaricom, they seem to have lobbied the Kenyan Telecommunications Authority and the Kenyan government to release statements and press releases of which we spoke about on social, warning people against Bitcoin, telling people that Bitcoin is not uh, legal tender in Kenya, which is factually true. Bitcoin is not legal tender anywhere in the world. So that's true, actually. It is true, but uh, they they went a step further, warning people that uh, almost saying that short of saying that Bitcoin is like illegal money. That's right. Um, interesting here how one can't help sensing that perhaps a Safaricom is a Kodak in the making, a BlackBerry in the making. Some of these decisions do not seem sound. Well, let, let's get one thing. Right. As at this point, it's illegal. We quite agree, but I mean... Illegal or just not uh, uh, widely accepted, officially accepted? Officially accepted, that's the word. But, you know, the best advice I would give CBNs now, then, sorry, central banks in, in Africa, is to do what we call smart regulation. You follow, reg- you follow innovation. You know, you can't... I know, you know, uh, by default, they want to regulate everything. But there are certain things you can't control. You can't control innovation. So I do understand the point from governments. You know, they're skeptical because, you know, they're in the dark. They, they are not exposed to the opportunities and, you know, what it offers. And I can understand when central bank officials make statements against Bitcoin. But my advice to them is for them to f- figure out how best to position their central bank for Bitcoin explosion. Because it's going to happen. You know, and they will not have control. So it's in their interest for them to have control. Well, not control or regulating the team, but, you know, to have visibility of what's going on in the Bitcoin um, uh, sphere so that, you know, they can use that to manage the co- uh, the country's financial state. That's, that's what I'm saying. So uh, the whole idea of coming out outright to say... Um, uh, uh, is illegal. It's actually not the best position. Uh, UK, France, uh, uh, central banks or treasury uh, uh, officials have made statements, and none of it is about calling it illegal. It's all about watching, you know, and finding how they can uh, allow this to play within their uh, environment. My concern really is around uh, this as a lost opportunity for financial inclusion. I think this is the biggest opportunity for central banks or de- developing countries to truly cre- to truly be part of something that could democratize financial systems that have left people on the outside for the longest time. Now, am I saying that there isn't uh, an immediate and obvious outsider-insider uh, element to Bitcoin and the, and the blockchain? Of course there is. But how about using this and seeing this as an opportunity to really do what central banks and governments Governments should be doing is looking out for their, for you know, for for citizens. And I feel like Airtel really is, is standing in the gap in, in, in this one in, in, with regards. And certainly, I think history will look back on this, and and uh, even investors might look back on this one and go, Safaricom, you got this one wrong. Yeah, definitely. And also, you you mentioned financial exclusion, inclusion. Apologies. 
exclusion is what's currently happening. But it also will happen at a lower cost. I mean, the cost for banks currently to just have one bank account is crazy. So with Bitcoin and the blockchain and being able to assign everybody a blockchain where they store their money in Bitcoins is much cheaper than the system currently. So I don't see, it doesn't benefit people like Safaricom or central banks, as, as Ameka says, to speak against Bitcoin. It's going to happen. Ah, well, now I'm moving to South Africa. I didn't notice this. I'm just noticing a trend in our, in our news in our news feed this week, uh, a lot of mobile telcos. I think I think the, the merge between mobile money and and, and and mobile telephony definitely becoming a trend as early as January in 2016. Not only mobile money and mobile service providers, but mobile service providers because they hold the data pipe. They are also media players. So even if we were talking video on demand, MTN's got uh, front row in South Africa, which is similar to Netflix. We should have spoken about that. Which is similar, which they zero rate on MTN. And I think they also own View or involved somewhere i could be wrong about that involved in view so yeah so mobile service providers are everything these days pretty much pretty much and so bringing it to south africa now where vodacom is still yet to explain to to all of us how an error led to some of their customers being double debited last week so this is a little scary given the size and scale of the kind of monies we're talking about uh and uh it's left a lot of people wanting to know how a mistake that big could have happened yeah, I mean, that that's that's definitely worrying. It, it speaks to the ERP systems, their financial systems, in terms of checks and balances there and how they work. And were they hacked? What are their security uh, protocols? Is Should we be a little more worried than we are? Or is it more of a manual process that they've led us to believe is an automated process? I don't know. But for me, again, being cynical, yes, they paid the people back, I think, after a day or two or a week. But what happens to all that interest that they gained during that period and the interest that customers lost and the inconvenience that customers lost of not having those funds? And all they did was give people extra data. This is reminding me of another story we haven't covered, but Facebook apparently testing in parts of the world uh, how people might respond if they cut their service. They did this to Android. Who knows? It might come out in some expose one day that uh, Vodacom just wanted to see what we'd all do. Yeah, and just to touch on that Facebook story quickly, this is a scary experiment, but Facebook is known for running experiments and psychological experiments like this. They previously ran one where they, they, don't, man, they don't produce the content in the previous one, but they only showed you, for a certain portion of users, they would only show you on your newsfeed negative updates by your friends. And, they, and for other users, they'd show them positive updates. And they measured how people who were seeing positive updates were updating their statuses, and apparently it does affect your psychology. But going back to the current uh, experiment, they intentionally, this is scary, they shut down the Android app. To see what we, what people would do and how, and apparently people responded by acting like they'd lost their crack, uh, <laughs> like going into their laptops trying to figure it out and just trying to log in over and over and over. And they and it's so easy these days with the internet. I mean, you can track like you know who installed which app, what's their username, what's their email address, so you can track that. Ah, we shut it down for this one, or we shut it down for this group of people in this region because you can do that and start tracking which of those people. And apparently. A good chunk, over 80%, were literally going onto uh, mobile web, were going onto the internet browser trying to log in, and they would be able to log in. And that's when they realized that people will do anything possible to get onto Facebook if the app is there. 
I guess Vodacom's learning now that people will do anything to get their money back if you overcharge them. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, that about does it in terms of this week's biggest stories. Uh, but as promised for our discussion segment this week, not that we haven't had plenty of discussion already, uh, but for our discussion segment this week, we're sharing a conversation I had with Aaron Fu on his recent visit to Joburg. Now, we talked about everything from what he's personally looking forward to in 2016 to what's striking his fancy these days in his professional capacity as the head of the leading VC firm on the continent take a listen what are you most excited about at a personal level for 2016 what sort of things are you looking forward to as Aaron Fu before we talk about you know what you're looking forward to as Nest and all those good things sure I think you know you know 2016 marks a milestone for us because we moved into Africa in 2014 Um, and I think it's the year where we feel that we are we want to start understanding a little bit more about the people we want to start really boosting our Kiswahili lessons we want to start really learning sort of more about the cuisine so we've gotten a couple of chefs to sort of teach us their secret recipes um so looking forward to having over having you over at my place in Nairobi where we can whip you up a great Kiswahili feast you know I'm not going to say no to this and of course uh we have our plans to uh to hit uh, certain parts of Africa, uh, at least north of us, uh, in the new year with, with the annual Tech Roundup. And, with, you know, Nairobi may just happen. Oh, you must. The Nyamachoma, you know, the coastal food is amazing. I have to take you over to the coast for some great breakfast. You just won't believe. Malindi has some amazing food in, in the morning. You, you just have to come over. Well, Nairobi will have to beat out uh, Accra, Cairo, uh, maybe even Tunis. So we'll see. Well, you know, we picked Nairobi to start off with. That can't be a bad choice, can it? <laughs> the man is, le- is, 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 is making a case for Nairobi. Yeah, and a good one too. Listen, it may just happen. Well, again, so I've asked you what you're excited about for 2016 on a personal level. What does Nest have to look forward to um, that perhaps didn't happen in 2015 or needs to happen more off in 2016? Sure. I I think we were extremely excited to start our journey in uh, the African startup ecosystem in Nairobi. I'm glad to say that after the four or five months we've been there, we're even more excited than before we began. Uh, We'd love to build on our reputation of um, some of the best events that we've run in Nairobi. Take that not only... uh, to the rest of Kenya, but also to the rest of the continent. Uh, We'd love to see some of our panel discussions come across to Johannesburg as well. Um, We're also really excited at our partnerships. Um, So we run a product lab right now with Barclays, uh, and we're in discussions to roll out a whole number uh, of accelerators in the rest of the continent. And we're really looking forward to bringing innovation and startups from all across the world uh, into Africa, whether that's in agricultural technology, in fintech, uh, or even in insurance technology. Um, and as well, giving an opportunity for local founders to interact with these international startups as they come through. So 2016 is going to be a really, really major for- one for us. Um, I think the other great piece that I'm really, really excited of uh, is while we started our journey in Nairobi, 2016 will be all about the rest of Africa. 2016 will be about what can we do in South Africa? What can we do in West Africa? Um, I've had a couple of really, really, really good uh, exploratory trips in Lagos, Accra, um, now in Johannesburg for the very first time, uh, and many in Cape Town as well. And I think you know we have some really exciting opportunities to to bring Ness's own brand of uh, acceleration, as well as connecting these cities uh, to the rest of our startup ecosystem in Paris, London, LA, New York. Um, we're really looking forward to that piece in 2016. You know, as uh, tech media, we like to, or we often point to actual deals getting made as a sign of you doing what you said you'd do when you first got here. And 
there's, there seems to be a little bit of a buzz. You finally started to, to identify some investment prospects and uh, invest in them. Sure. Um, so I think there's two fronts, right? So one of which is we're really proud that we were able to send two African startups across to our fintech accelerator in Hong Kong. Um, many of them have already had great conversations with Asian banks around looking at piloting their technology. So that's really, really exciting. Um, I guess the only other comment I can make on the investment side on those two fintech startups is we invest in about 80% of the companies that come through accelerators. So watch this space. Um, and certainly we've already identified many, many companies uh, based out of Kenya, based out of the surrounding East Africa region that are already addressing global clients. And we're really, really excited to be partnering with them to further further their scaling in the rest of the markets outside uh, Africa, especially uh, if they have a push towards Asia. So really, really excited at those prospects as well. And we all know the last quarter of 2015 was a pretty hairy one for investor relations, particularly in your part of, of Africa, or at least where you live, uh, East Africa issues around Angani, and actually all over the country, all over the, the, the continent, I, I think of the telecoms that just... Uh, hectic uh, uh, furor around their presence and their, the way they've done business so far. Uh, how have you been able as Nest to sort of uh, wade through the, the, the sort of mire of, of these issues? Sure. I, I think not to put it too simplistically, um, but I mean, those are real issues facing the ecosystem. I think they create a lot of distrust among individuals. They create a lot of fear in the ecosystem around sort of what is next for it. Will people start getting less enthusiastic about investing in the ecosystem? Will people start looking more at the risks versus the potential reward um, from being active in the ecosystem? But as Nest, again, not to sound too simplistic about it, but the startups that we invest in have markets which are all over the world. And very often, they would have teams and staff which are also all over the world. That kind of limits our exposure to purely domestic issues. Um, so while the Nairobi ecosystem might be taking a hit in terms of maybe even consumer confidence in buying from startups, I think that was sort of the biggest thing coming out of Angani, right? I mean, a lot of people looked at what's going on with the board. Do we need to think of a new way around how do we manage governance? But really, I feel the the, the most sort of saddest thing about it was that most people just stopped using Angani and and more importantly they then questioned buying from any other startup um, that's coming out of Kenya um, so while that is, is challenging the other thing of course is that primarily affects Kenyan companies buying from Kenyan startups right um, because a lot of our companies are Kenyan companies with customers again from all across the world that risk is mitigated a little bit that's not to say the Kenyan domestic market is not important to us it really really is um, but of course um, being global we are able to sort of spread that risk out a little bit more I suppose that uh, validates what you said earlier that um, you know your 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 point about Kenya being a gateway to the rest of the continent it is in a really in a, in a, in a true sense based on what you just said no, absolutely. Um, so we intentionally push all the founders that we work with to go, have you looked at Lagos as a market? Have you looked at Accra? Have you looked at South Africa? If you're not comfortable with those markets, we can help you get to Indonesia. We can help you get into the US. Uh, we've just uh, sort of increased our team in New York as well. Is your fintech startup uh, applicable to some problems that some banks based out of New York are, are facing, right? Are you solving something to do with regulatory technology? Are you solving something to do with compliance reporting? Um, I think it's, we definitely intentionally push all our startups to look in that direction. 
as a quote-unquote outsider um, VC interest, uh, given that you're Hong Kong-based, or at least uh, that Nest was founded in Hong Kong. Uh, coming to the continent, uh, what are some of the challenges of being an outsider? And uh, and also, what are some of the opportunities or unique perspectives you have that position you really well to to, to, to basically fulfill the mandate you described? Sure. I, I think, you know, some of the biggest challenges is I walk into a lot of meetings where people have known each other for a much longer period of time, um, where there's a lot of historical um, issues that have sort of, you know, colored the relationship between other people. Um, and I think, you know, it's been a learning process to try and get a lot more up to speed with with what, how the ecosystem looks like. Uh, we've sort of been able to overcome this quite quickly, actually, by hiring locally extensively. Um, I love our team uh, in Nairobi. I feel they are absolute superstars and leaders of the startup ecosystem. Um, and they have been around uh, in Nairobi working in the startup ecosystem for much longer than Nest has. Um, and so they definitely go a long way in terms of uh, helping us color our own perspectives uh, on, our, on, on our relationships in the ecosystem, for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Nest, uh, from from what I've read, doesn't invest, doesn't doesn't insist on 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 on, on having huge stakes in the companies they you know that uh, it invests in. Uh, is that a good thing? Uh, given how a lot of companies actually need hands-on guidance, as it were, and how do you assert yourself if you've got a too small a stake? Uh, and and why do you do it to, to start it? Why why would you why would you invest so little? Sure. Uh, many questions in that one. Um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, we prefer to take much smaller stakes uh, in a firm. And the reason we do that is really because we feel that the founder should have ultimate control over his own company. Uh, we feel that if a founder feels that he doesn't really own his company, you get less success out of him. Um, but the thing is, an equity stake doesn't directly translate into control. You could have a large equity stake, but not have a lot of influence over the board, but not have a lot of influence over the CEO. Um, we really think that it's more our role to guide. It's more our role to help the CEO with his strategies. It's more our role to help connect the CEO with other people in our networks that could help boost his business. I think it all really goes back to the ethos at Nest where we invest in people first and ideas second. Um, we definitely believe that we are investing in you, the team, and you, the CEO. And because we believe in that, why would we ever try and sort of supplant your authority? We just wouldn't. You come first. Your idea comes second completely. There are obviously areas in tech that must excite you personally, but might not be a great fit for the Nest system. What are those things? And, 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 and then tell me about Nest as well. Sure, absolutely. So I think some of the... the the businesses that excite me a lot uh, that are coming out of Nairobi as well as in, in the rest of the continent um, are a whole range of developer training schools. Um, you've got Moringa School in East Africa. Um, Andela has obviously gained a lot of traction in Nigeria. It's now just starting up um, in Nairobi. Um, you've got Mest in Accra, which are doing amazing things. Huge fan of Yon's work, being able to marry both technical training and sort of business training. Um, you've also got Coders for Africa, very, very huge fans of them, um, building on existing developers to sort of really take them to the next level, giving them really exciting international projects to work on. And the reason I personally am excited about these projects is primarily because they are building a pipeline 
of technical talent which will fuel the startups in 2017, which will fuel the startups in 2018. And I think that's what will deliver the truly, truly successful um, startups in, in, in the years to come. But Nest wouldn't invest in them. Why? Nest might not invest in all of them is, is probably what I'd say to that. And I think a primary inhibitor for us investing in any education business is this notion of scalability. Um, again, uh, to reiterate one more time, we can only invest uh, in startups that ca- are going to scale global. Right, and I think the reason we do that is because that best utilizes our own strategy, capabilities, and our own network. Um, a lot of education startups just can't scale as efficiently. Um, you look at a typical classroom setup; you need to set up another classroom, you need to rent another classroom, you need to hire two more teachers, you need to hire one more administrator for every thirty students that you that you take in. There is very little that I see in terms of an ability to service 300 students while sort of gaining any real efficiencies. Um, so, so that's sort of a challenge that I see with most of them. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they're not successful businesses. You, you can run an extremely successful businesses that just requires a lot of capex to scale. That's, that's perfectly fine. Um, but that's just not Nest mandate. So describe the perfect sort of investment candidate for Nest. Sure. I mean, the perfect investment candidate for Nest in Africa, anyway, um, is a founder that truly, truly believes in the mission of what he's looking to build. Uh, we love investing in founders who feel that what they're building is their purpose in life. Very often, the founders that we work with have had personal experience of the problem um, and have come to us and said, look, I really need your help to do this to scale even faster. But even if you don't help me do this, I will do it anyway. And that kind of shows us that that individual would have the perseverance necessary to be able to follow this through. The other aspects of startups that you know, we feel are ideal are ones that leverage our capabilities thoroughly, ones that leverage our capabilities geographically. So whether that's pushing out into new markets, certainly more in Asia, whether that's from a supply perspective. So perhaps do you need to have your supply chain on your hardware piece sorted out? We can definitely help with that. Or are you looking at entering a new market that's also in Asia? Um, But also we would really love to speak to more founders that are playing in spaces where we have vertical expertise. So whether that's health tech, whether that's fintech, whether that's IoT, whether that's smart cities, whether that's medical imaging, um, would love to speak to these founders as well. So I think if I were to describe the perfect one, it would be one that's, you know, very, very driven in terms of fulfilling this purpose. One that is looking at taking his startup globally with an Asian focus and one that is playing within one of the verticals where Nest has a strategic uh, advantage in terms of helping them uh, gain uh, access to a wider market. Could that candidate be pre-revenue? That candidate can absolutely be pre-revenue. We've definitely admitted uh, startups into our accelerators before, which pretty much just had an idea on the back of an envelope. That's, that's absolutely no problem at all. Um, again, um, sorry to read the mantra, but it really is about founder first. Um, pre-revenue is especially okay if the founder has had other businesses before, if the founder has a great track record, whether that's as an entrepreneur or whether an, as an entrepreneur. And I would love to emphasize that entrepreneurs actually make fantastic founders as well. Um, I see a lot of founders come through and actually their story is more in the various organizations I've worked with, I've built up products from scratch, right? I've never run a startup. I've never had to start my own company, but 
I've run my own product. And I think that sort of delivers a little bit of confidence in terms of your track record of running a business. There seems to be this glass ceiling, though, uh, or at least this perception that if you haven't had an Ivy League education, um, you, you don't have a couple of blue chip firms on your resume, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you, you basically, you've never traveled the world, haven't seen the world, and have a context for, for creating products that will appeal in other markets, um, a VC interest like yours will walk right past. What would you say to someone who's sitting here, who's, who's listening in right now, basically fits that bill but has a great idea should they give you a call no absolutely um you're a scrappy entrepreneur clearly you've been scarring the internet for the best startup news and therefore stumbled upon this podcast um so you're actively looking for information right take that same attitude and apply it to i need to learn more about this market um go out there um, connect to the startup ecosystem in that market. Um, you know, I've been involved in startup ecosystems all across the world, and I can guarantee you that they are extremely collaborative. Um, Nairobi is always very known for being very collaborative within itself, but frankly, most startup ecosystems would love to hear from an entrepreneur in Zimbabwe or an entrepreneur from Nigeria um, around how they, their product could potentially be deployed into, again, Manila, Thailand, I'm sure that it's all about just reaching out. Eventually, as a founder, you've got to reach out to your customers. You've got to reach out to your investors. Why not start reaching out to where you want to roll out your product? Um, you clearly are scrappy enough. You clearly have worked hard to form your team. You've worked very hard to do some customer research to figure out what your core value proposition is. But why not apply that same thing to figuring out what other markets you know, can, can use in, in terms of your product? I think also worth mentioning that reality still is that a majority of the startups that we look at in, in Africa have been uh, founded by individuals with extensive corporate experience, with a lot of blue chip names on their CVs. Many of them have gone to school abroad, and that really does give them a bit of a leg up. But, you know, everyone loves a good story. If you're coming from behind, I, I'm sure that... Uh, there, there are many entrepreneurial ways in which you can get ahead yourself individually, right? And I think that almost proves that you're not on, only entrepreneurial with your business, but also with yourself. Um, rumor has it you, you take far more meetings than your contemporaries in other parts of the world when Nest operates, um, uh, presumably because it's far more challenging to find a diamond in the rough. Would I be correct in saying that? And if I am, what's, what makes uh, you know, finding great uh, investable businesses in Africa so difficult? Well, I think I completely agree with that. I mean, very often I find myself needing to speak to significantly more startups than a lot of my colleagues in other cities. But it's what I want to be doing. Uh, it's, it's definitely a personal passion of mine to discover as many um, world-class startups and world-class founders here as possible. Um, and I think very often they're working alone uh, in their backyards or in their rooms and they aren't coming to larger hubs or larger competitions. And it's, it's up to us to go out there and find them and identify that they are doing a fantastic job at this one particular product and help them bring it to life. And what works better often? Is it them coming to you or you finding them or stumbling upon them? And if, if it's about stumbling upon them, what sort of network do you, do you rely on to do that? Sure. Well, I, I have 
benefit of having been in financial services for the last nine years and, and specifically around financial services, technology and financial services innovation. Um, so I regularly go out into my networks and sort of go, have you heard of anyone doing something really interesting in this particular space? Um, and I think very often most of the gems do come from that. Um, so even if you don't get in touch directly with me, um, definitely make sure that there are people around you who know what you're doing, uh, who know what you've been up to and know the value of what you're building out. Um, certainly, I do enjoy um, sitting in on pitch competitions. I do enjoy avenues where 20 guys can sort of come through back to back and sort of pitch to us. And that's that sort of a reach out. And I guess it more the it depends on how that reach out is approached. Um, I really love founders that come across and just start the conversation by going, there's a problem that I really want to solve. This is who has that problem. This is how I'm going to solve it. And this is why I'm the best person to do it. If you have that conversation around solving a problem, it becomes a much more interesting conversation than I want to build an e-commerce startup, which I can then sell for a million dollars in six months. Um, I think it goes back again to how we prefer investing in founders that really believe in the purpose of what they're doing. But surely there's nothing wrong with, I have this idea that I think could scale and make us all rich. <laughs> sure, of course. There's, there's nothing wrong for you. And, and certainly there's nothing wrong for maybe other angels which that could appeal to. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, there, there are a lot of people with great ideas. And, and I think the message to them is it's really all about execution. I know this has been said a number of times on your show, but I mean, it really, an, an idea is something that's in your head. Until it's out of your head, until it's a product, until it's a business plan, until there's a team around you building it together with you, it's an idea in your head. Um, and an, an idea in your head is worth significantly less than an actual product. Um, by far. Um, so, you know, to, to that, I, I would just say, if you have an idea, test it, run it by more people, get pre-signups, right? Kickstarter is there for a reason. Pre-sales are a fantastic way to fund your first prototype. Um, get creative with how you fund it and get creative how you test it. Do you, do you have a threshold for, for investment? Are there companies... Are there sort of startups out there that should sort of shop elsewhere because they, you know, the kind of support they might need financially or in terms of, you know, a dollar amount would be too high for, for Nest to sort of, uh, you know, be participating? Sure. I, I think certainly it's, it's a little bit too late stage for us to invest in Uber. Um, so ah, sorry about that. <laughs> Missed that one. Um, however, we, we have invested in some other great transport um, startups as well. Um, when it comes to, to thresholds, I feel, I feel that while there is a certain limit to what we can do um, in terms of being able to fund them, I think we're great at taking them to a stage whereby they can get funded at the next level. Um, I think everyone knows that the sort of really, really big money is in San Francisco, right? A lot of people move to the Valley just so that they can raise that next mega round. Um, but I think a lot of founders just aren't there. And I think we're able to, to bridge that sort of funding and skills gap to help you get to where you need to get to um, to raise that mega round. And how many years away are we as an ecosystem on the continent from that point, do you think? 
Wow. Um, that's a tough thing to say. Um, but as I mentioned earlier on the show, uh, I think with the dramatic explosion in developer schools, um, a lot more um, startup founders looking at moving across, um, certain accelerator uh, venture funds <clears throat> like us uh, coming across and linking the ecosystem to the rest of the world. I really think that in two or three years, you will see an African ecosystem, which is not only more collaborative internally within the continent, but also incredibly more collaborative outside of the continent. And I think that can only mean that you will have more and more globally scalable startups. And what that means is that suddenly the software that's developed here becomes exported. Suddenly it becomes more about just the Kenyan domestic market, just about the South African market. Um, so that's certainly what I look forward to in the future, sort of two to three years from now. Well, look, I can't vouch for, 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 for Nest or anything, but certainly um, Def and I on the show have a heart for what seems to be, a, you know, uh, lip service turning into actual things happening. Uh, the, the extremes that we can't stand on the show are uh, VCs that just think they can throw, you know, money at a problem and sort of see things happen, uh, as well as sort of players, you know, so-called uh, accelerators and incubators who who really don't have a clue about what it really takes to take um, a great idea or a great founder and his idea from point A to point B. It seems uh, Nest seems to be doing um, a lot of what we think needs to be done. And so we can only wish, wish you the best for 2016. We will be watching you closely. And when we come to, to, to Nairobi, we certainly will be looking, uh, <laughs> looking to check you out properly. But yeah, all the best to you. No, thank you so much. Looking forward to welcoming you at the dinner table, uh, giving you a bit of a tour of the Nairobi ecosystem and sharing a little bit more about why we're so excited about it. Fantastic. Thank you, Aaron Fu. You know what? I didn't ask the guy. I didn't ask Aaron, but listening back to that conversation now certainly sounds like Aaron and his wife have a home shift, dude. <laughs> this, guy, this guy is rolling like a boss. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's what? Managing partner at Nest for Africa? Well, we might just take you up on that offer to have dinner by yours, bruh. <laughs> Thanks to you, Aaron, for spending time with us. And in all likelihood, we should connect with you again in Nairobi soon enough. Uh, and now, here's to hoping all of the rest of you listeners out there have had a blast listening to the podcast this week. It's really good to be back, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And once again, thank you to Google South Africa for giving us a whole bunch of Google Cardboards to try out and share with you, our listeners. Google Cardboard, it brings you immersive virtual reality experiences in a simple and affordable way. Check them out at google.com forward slash get forward slash cardboard. And from me, Tefo Mohapi, it's cheers. It's cheers from me too. It's your boy, Andile Masugo. See you next week. Ciao. Oh, Flip, <laughs> let's just leave out our guest. <laughs> you might want to say, you want to give a shout out to Nigeria. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Nigeria, I'm coming home very soon. Um, the thing is, this is uh, this is 2016. Um, my dream is, you know, for Africa to start taking back where we were before in terms of technology. Now we need to, you know, slow down the startup sound. You know, there's so much startup noise. Uh, we need to start creating, developing technology, whether it's software whether it's hardware or whether it's firmware. I mean, we have opportunities now. You know, IoT is up. Big data is up. Uh, we need to start creating technologies that even the Western world will need. That's my dream for 2016, and I hope everybody's in fight to achieve this. Hey, man is preaching up in here. <laughs> Did you-
you see what his t-shirt says? What does the t-shirt say? Oh, data is the new currency. Yes, now. Data, data is the most important resource in the world right now. And, you know, we need to start tapping into what data could do for all our fa- all facets of our life and businesses. So this 2016 should be a year we should tap into a new realm. And we should be driven by data for everything. The man has preached. The, 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 the pastor has spoken. <laughs> Take it easy. Thanks so much for being with us, man. Oh, man. You know, I, I would love to. You know, definitely I'm coming back. So. This is awesome. Again, well, we say goodbye again. Take it easy, everybody, yeah?